This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. I'm your host, Kaylin Less. For those of you who've not heard me on past episodes, Jeff and I work at The One Thing, and I'm in charge of all of the creative content and listening to you, our listeners, and our community members in figuring out better ways to help you achieve your goals. You know, we live in a culture that's inundated by distractions. The smartest people in the world are designing apps to capture your attention. How do we choose mindfulness when we're in a world that's buzzing, zapping, and distracting us from what matters most? This is the challenge. And to top it off, no one's shown us how to, how to do it. This episode was part of our One Thing webinar series. Each month, we feature an author whose book is aligned with the one thing to help you explore more ways you can live the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. If you'd like to see our upcoming webinar guests, visit theonething.com slash webinar. That's the one thing with the number one in the URL, theonething.com slash webinar. In this episode, our guests will walk you through simple and clear ways to start getting present in the moment. We'll talk about ways to become more mindful, reduce stress, and have more mental clarity on what matters most to you. Our hope is that you choose one thing you can put into action immediately following this episode. With that, let's get into the episode with author of Now is the Way and host of the Astral Hustle podcast, Corey Allen. How are you doing, Corey? Good. How are you? So Corey, tell us a little bit about, about your practice and what, what, you, what you brought together in this book. About my meditation practice or... Yes, your spiritual practice. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> basically, yeah, basically been uh, meditating for about 20 years and I got into it, you know, out of necessity, really. You know, I uh, living in an environment where just how I grew up, there was a lot of chaos and, and discomfort around me. And I d- really discovered meditation by chance and began practicing just quietly. And I, I realized that no matter what was going on outside of my body, you know, in the world or in my environment, that inside my body, my inner life was mine and that I could do and become who and what I wanted to be in there. And it became a, a very much a sanctuary for me. And as I went deeper into my own meditation practice and just exploring and becoming aware of my inner life, I began to see how as I made changes with what arose and what I became aware of, um, I changed as a person. There's this thing of what's coming in and what's coming up and how I began to express that in the world began to slowly morph who I was. And that made me realize like, wait a second, you know, now three months have gone by, six months have gone by and I've continued meditation practice and just trying to be more mindful and more self-aware and trying to author my actions in my future as opposed to being pushed around and uh, by the life outside of me or just living mindlessly through my pre-programmed behaviors that have come from my family and from society and so on. The more I did that, the more I realized like, wow, I'm actually at the head of the ship here. I'm curating and choosing who I want to be and changing who I was into the person that I know is possible. And so through doing that, I began realizing, you know, I'm I'm different than I was six months ago. I'm different than I was a year ago. And that led me to realizing like, oh, wow, I can continue this, this path and continue changing forever. And that's ultimately what I'm still doing today. It's interesting because a lot of people, when they start on a path of personal development, um, we have a lot of people in our community who say, you know, I want to achieve this and this is the person I want to become. And I've heard that sometimes... There are a lot of things that we think are the first two-inch domino that helps people. Like, I want to be healthy and I want to lose weight. So they think that the first thing to do is start working out every day. But recently I was talking to somebody and his first two-inch domino, he realized, was getting his mind present. And it seemed like so detached from the outcome he was actually seeking. But that presentness actually does ripple into all the other areas of your life, like you mentioned. Yeah, totally. I mean, if you think about like... Everything that you do in your life begins by a level of self-awareness or an awareness of what you need to change or a definition of the goal that you want to seek or whatever it might be. And so through being more present, you're more aware of what you're feeling. You're more aware of what you're thinking. And you begin to get a, a broader, more clear idea of your of the small picture and the big picture. And that really allows you to recognize what it is that you're thinking at all. You know, it's interesting that a lot of people get aspirations to do things in life and they get really frustrated because they're not coming into fruition. But if you stop and you actually think about how much time have you spent really 
visualizing and laying out a strategy and understanding what that even means to achieve that thing. Most people say, oh, well, I haven't really done that. I just want a thing and I'm frustrated because I can't get it. And so, you know, spending some time to actually increase that self-awareness and your understanding of of what it is you've decided to, like the story that you're telling yourself about your life and about what you want. Like, well, what is that story? Where did that story come from? And what parts of that story are true and do I actually want? And so by being more present, you can very much tap into that. And it it's a beautiful thing and it becomes more and more clear as you do it more. Yeah. It's interesting when you talk about like having a goal outside of yourself that you're after. And then people though, on the inside in their day-to-day, they continue to react to what the world is throwing at them versus having a plan for how to get and achieve that goal. And one mm-hmm. of the things you mentioned in your book was how sometimes we get so caught up in the day-to-day of checking email and responding to this notification and that fire, firefight that, that we are so caught up in the busyness. But that moment that we actually realize that we're not present in the moment is actually the first two-inch domino of being self-aware. Like mm-hmm. even though you haven't changed your behavior, but you're just pausing and you're noticing that your behavior is not in line with what's actually happening in your present. It's just reacting to everything outside of yourself. Can you talk a little bit about that? I would love to. So this is such an important thing. I love that you brought it up and we should kind of soak on this thought for a minute because, yeah, you know, our culture is, you know, it's a, we live in a a capitalist culture that's all based upon marketing and advertising and, and all this stuff. And a symptom of that is that from the time that we're born, we're marketed to that. If you had this, you will be happy. If you could look like this person or look this way or be this thing, you'll feel happy. And what that does is it makes us feel like we aren't enough. It makes us feel like we're perhaps we're missing something. We're wrong in some way. And given that we already have nasty inner critics to begin with as human critters, but you know, being living in this world where there's just marketing and advertising everywhere telling us like, here's where, what you should be, you know, <laughs> like everywhere. Yeah. It, it makes it hard to not second guess yourself and beat yourself up all the time. And so, yes, it's a, it's a, such a powerful moment to realize like that first huge step is like just becoming aware of your thoughts. As you mentioned, that's the, the first step. And what happens is that most people, when they sit down to try and meditate, or even you don't even need to do meditation to to experience mindfulness. You know, meditation is just a part of it. But whenever you sit down, you, you, you're doing something and you think, you know, um, hmm, I just, I, I'm becoming more aware of the, my thoughts of what I'm thinking of what I'm feeling, but it seems too crazy. And so I want to go back to numbing it, or I want to kind of ignore it and live in a series of chain reactions or this momentum of distraction. Um, that moment of recognition, yeah, is usually one where people do have that that thought, that that experience of like, oh, I'm doing something wrong, or this is nasty, and and I don't want to experience this because of uh, you know the way that our society and just the natural way that humans tend to think about things is, and so uh, I think it's super valuable to point out that. Once you recognize the busyness of your mind, that's actually a huge win. That's the hardest win because you've gone. Yeah. 30 years, 50 years, 60 years, kind of on autopilot in some ways until that moment. It's a huge breakthrough. Yeah. So you have this breakthrough, but then what? I feel like that's where people suddenly, I think you're right that you have the awareness, but it's much easier to slip back into other behaviors that numb and that distract you because distractions are really easy to take up time and fill space and feel feel busy and important. So mm-hmm. what do you think are the habits that people have unconsciously been forming that make it easy to slide back into that lack of awareness versus to be present in the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's everything that's fed to us constantly, you know, like even just watching TV or, you know, zoning out on Netflix or whatever. Of course, the phone and social media is a huge distraction. Careerism is another form of distraction, Um, you know, different substances and what have you. There's all sorts of ways that our, you know, our... um, our society is is just prepared to really uh, take advantage of all of those those uh, pain points that we have, and so uh, you know, I think the best way to get on the other side of that and start and start shifting things for yourself long term is one to realize that like you're not going to decide that tomorrow like you're going to go to sleep tonight and then tomorrow you're going to wake up and everything's going to be amazing you're going to be a completely different person and because that's what most people tend to get the idea in their head is they want like a results fast they want to change quickly because they're in so much pain or because they feel so 
disconfigured or whatever it might be. But the most important thing is to like with all of this stuff, and I think with most stuff in general, is like lower the stakes. You know, it's like don't make it this huge thing where if you say, oh, I'm going to meditate or I'm going to try and not say any judgmental things out loud or express some negativity or whatever, or criticize strangers or whatever it might be. If you do it one time or you catch yourself doing it, like it's the game isn't over. It's like, okay, well, you caught yourself doing it. That's great. That's a win. Like you recognize yeah. that you were doing it as opposed to just, you know, doing it, doing it and then moving on with your life. So, you know, lowering the stakes and then just starting slow one step at a time. And, you know, in the book, I put like a good way to just begin to tap into what you experience as a person because, you know, we have our, our consciousness, our awareness of our experience. Um, but that comes with different levels of depth. You know, some days you might experience this path where you're going and, and it's almost like you, you wake up, you go through this automated sort of day in existence. And then when your head hits the pillow at night, you're like, oh, uh, what even happened today? I don't even really know. But then sometimes you have those experiences where you feel completely blissed out. You feel like there's this synchronicity where everything is almost forming together just for you. You feel deep and connected to everything. You feel like the, every moment of your experience, you're very... Uh, in tune with and you're you're responding to it not just reacting to everything and that's the place where everyone wants to be you know the interesting thing is that that beautiful you know space of grace truly is what that is is that that's here all the time like it doesn't disappear when you're not feeling that it's just that you're not tuned into it you're not tapped into it in that moment there's a lot of oh this is a great thing that scott said he said you know I've felt that, but it often appears by accident. Like it feels like it shows up without any control over what I've put into the world. How would you how would you respond to that, Corey? Yeah, well, it definitely can. I mean, you think about all of just the circumstances of life will align. You think like a clock, like it's always gonna be, you know, the minute hand and the hour hand are gonna be on top of each other a couple of times, you know, at least once an hour, yeah. you know? And so yeah. it's kind of like that. I think that what you can take away from that experience is is whenever you do feel that way taking a little mental snapshot of that and going like, okay, this is where I need to spend more time. Like all of the static and buzzing and distraction and, and the endless cycle of desire and, and franticness, like, let me use this as the goal, the place to get. And that's really useful because, you know, a lot of people, uh, you it's, it's hard to get somewhere if you don't know where you're going in the first place. So using those little wonderful moments is like, all right, this is... This is where it's at. This is what life should be. This is being fully alive. So I know where to point myself. So that kind of aligns with what do you think are the myths that maybe people think about mindfulness? Like those moments that they're like a gift that maybe is given that I don't have any control over. Or are there other myths that people talk about that make mindfulness maybe out of reach or maybe out of, um, that maybe make it feel out of control? Yeah, there's a lot of them. You know, I mean, it's like because it's dealing with the mind, it's intangible, and so it's this thing that's within you, right? There's no fit. Like you can go to the gym and work out and measure your biceps and be like, "Cool, I'm like gaining, you know, bicep size, whatever." Yeah. But whenever you're changing your inner life, you have to become aware and like, okay, how am I feeling today? Like, how is my awareness different? And that's a whole nother ball game. And so with that comes a lot of. Uh, uh, but you know, there's a lot of potential for imagination or self-delusion or or whatever it might be. So there's a lot of misnomers and a lot of you know fat in that world that people can kind of uh, get caught up in. And so one of the some of the definite ones that I hear a lot are people think that it's it's going to change who you are or like somehow the I, how you understand yourself will disappear or something like that. Like that you won't be the person that you were anymore, and that scares people. You know, um, whenever really it's like you're what will happen is that you'll become more of who you are as opposed to less of who you are. You know, I guess I can relate to that fear, Corey, and that like I think sometimes we define ourselves by a lot of the things we do and the things we keep ourselves busy with. Mm -hmm. So that if you strip some of that away and just look at what's left, it's it's a, maybe it's a, an unfamiliar thing to look at, which can right. be really scary. Right, right. Yeah. And I, another one definitely is uh, people think of like the idea of having a clear mind is something that I hear all the time that people, it it makes some people uncomfortable because they're like, what am I, a zombie? Like what's going on here? You know, <laughs> I don't want to have no thoughts. And that, that idea of like a clear mind comes from a bad translation of an Eastern idea, you know, <laughs> 
there's this idea of whenever you say, oh, well, I'm meditating or I'm practicing mindfulness, I have a clear mind. And, and that, that just doesn't mean that you have no thoughts. It means that you have an awareness about what's going on in your mind. You have clarity in your inner vision and in your inner life, as opposed to having just no thoughts and being this empty vessel yeah. or something like that. That makes sense. That makes sense. So when people experience those myths, how do you debunk that in your own world? I think that sometimes going on a mindfulness journey can feel intimidating because of those myths and the path that feels maybe inaccessible or unclear. Mm -hmm. So where do we start? Yeah, well, I mean, always put yourself in the lab, you know, stick a toe in. That's the best way because, you know, as I said, again, like given that you're, it's a a experience of the mind, you'll never know, you know, what it's actually like, what it feels like unless you experience it for yourself. So just Mm -hmm. trying a little bit of those practices and really just getting a sense of what that's like for you is the best way to debunk those myths because you quickly realize it's like maybe before you uh, went to a foreign country for the first time. You know, people think like, "Oh, it's going to be scary, and I'll be completely helpless, and there's, the language barrier is going to be insurmountable." But then, whenever you finally go there, you're like, "Oh, I actually like this. This is more fun than being at home." <laughs> you know, but until you actually get there, are you like, "Oh, wait a second, this is fine. This is this is good," and then you know what it's all about. And so I think that, you know, something like meditation, again, people think like, oh, what, what does this mean? Is this some deep spiritual pursuit that's going to redefine who I am and all this stuff? And it, it you know, it's, it's whatever you want it to be because it's you, right? And so for something like that, like people have this fear about meditation. I hear it all the time is because of a lot of the things we mentioned. And there's a lot of like performance anxiety or something like that. They People worry that they're doing it wrong and that they're failing or that it's going to make them wear flowing clothing or something like that, you know, which <laughs> that, that could be, that could be true only if that's who you really are. And it, and it reveals itself as you go deeper into the undoing of, you know, who you were told you should be. But, uh, you know, I would say if it's something like that, like eat, again, just lower the stakes. We overcomplicate everything in life. And so just sitting down, like, all right, I'm going to try meditation see what it's all about. You sit down for five minutes, you know, in the, after you go home from work or in the morning or whatever, super easy. Just close your eyes, breathe in through your nose, you know, breathe in life or whatever that means to you. Just breathe in something well. As you exhale, release the muscles in your face and your shoulders and relax. Breathe in again, breathe in more, you know, life or just essence or whatever, you know, whatever that means to you. And then again, exhale, relax your face, your shoulders and whatever. Try not to move and be fidgety. Allow your hands to just relax and rest on your body. And just do that for five minutes without any you know, noise or sounds on in the background. And don't expect anything from it. Just say, all right, well, I'm going to do that. See what that's like. I, I use the phrase, the uh, thing I came up with called breathe like you're sleeping. You know, because <laughs> everyone has this idea of like, oh, I can't take deep breaths and calm breaths. It's like, yeah, well, you do for eight hours a night. It's just your mind isn't in the way, getting you all clenched up and grasped and freaked yeah. out. So you can do it you know, easily when you're sleeping. So just do that when you're awake you know, for five minutes and see how you feel. Maybe you don't feel any different. But what you'll find is that the compound effects of doing that over a couple of days or a few weeks, if you do it every day, you'll start to notice that in situations where normally you would have just this reactive verbal response to something where you might uh, you know, act uh, make a decision without thinking about it, you know, your impulse control or whatever it is, or even your own inner critic where you start, you go into a meeting or something like that. And you feel like, oh, I'm about to go fail this, you know, and you you can catch yourself going, wait a second, I actually feel a bit more just comfortable with what is. I feel a bit more confident and self-aware of myself and less uh, less controlled by my you know past and my programming and my fears and a little bit more breathing room, a little bit more comfortableness and flexibility. It sounds like a dream. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'm special here, but I've tried to go on meditation journeys and tried to build a habit of it. And it's something that I can do in a reactionary way where often I'll be like, I've got to get centered. And so when I feel that desire, it's much easier to fall into a pattern. But so I guess how how do we balance that? Like what is the the smallest what do you suggest for someone like me who's really wants to be more present and continues to fight against that the busy factors and turning my mind down right. and sitting still i find that if i walk around the block sometimes it's easier to turn my mind down than it is if i'm just sitting in a quiet room so what are the pro tips to make 
the barriers to that outcome, because the outcome sounds dreamy, <laughs> and the path there has, for me, has not been as always so clear. Yeah, the first thing is to just build it into a part of your routine so that it becomes habitual. So, you know, you don't have to remember to brush your teeth in the morning, probably, I hope. And so, you know, you just kind of, (laughs) you just always do that every morning. You know, you often, you know, have to remember to take a shower. It's just you wake up, you make coffee, whatever, you know, hop in the shower. It's all part of this routine. So just building it into there every morning, that's a a great way to make it worth something that sticks. And, you know, it takes a couple of days and you might miss a day or something like that. But the more that you start just putting it a part of just a no brain, no brainer, just you know, no pun intended, but a no brainer, you just make it a part of your morning routine. Uh, that's a great way to start building it into your daily life. And then again, just making it really simple. Like you can make meditation uh, complex if you want, but making it don't even think about any inner life, any you know psychological outcome or anything like that. Think of it from a purely physiological, just physical state first. So I know that you know people that are probably uh, listening to this webinar are you know professionals that are working long hours that have a lot going on, a lot of complexity in their lives, and so because you you're processing so much information every day. You need time to like like a computer, like defrag that information to kind of detox all of that input. And so given that people that are working very busy schedules with a lot going on, uh, there's no time. There's, there's often no time to sit down and, and to actually release a lot of that stress, and that tension and that complexity. And so whenever you finally do do that, then it's like, bam, it all comes out at once, you know? And so doing it a little bit every morning, it's like, we're like uh, teapots that are full of steam, right? So in the morning, the first time you do it, you let it out. There's gonna be it's gonna be screeching. There's gonna be a lot of steam coming out, and you're gonna your mind's gonna be really wild. You're gonna feel fidgety and all that. Then the second day, well, there's still a lot of steam in there, but not as much. And the third day, there's a little less steam. And over you know a week, maybe two weeks, you're gonna finally let all that steam out. And then you're just dealing with the pressures of the day as opposed to the pressures of all of your life from when you were born leading up until this moment all coming out now so there's (laughs) there's this period of of like blowing off some of that steam at first but um the the fidgetiness and the the mental franticness you know the mind and the body very much mirror each other and Mm -hmm. so once you like there's no win at at meditating right or in realigning yourself and and there's no competitive meditation there's no competitive (laughs) meditation right so just knowing that, okay, so I like you, like you said, you guys struggle with it. You feel really uh, frantic and fidgety and whatever. Yeah. So make make it known, like, okay, that's how I feel whenever I do this. So <laughs> I'm gonna sit down for five minutes. I may not instantly fast forward to a Zen master, you know, immediately. But what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna put in the time for myself right now. And then tomorrow, I'll do it again. And you know, just as I said, think about it completely from a physical state. All you're doing is you do it every night when you sleep. Like I said, you just do this while you're awake for five minutes. You sit there and you breathe, close your eyes for five minutes. No big deal. Um, and so you probably, you know, a lot of people will be walking through their house and they'll stop looking at their phone or Instagram or something in the middle of a hallway, like scrolling for five minutes. And they go, oh, wait, I was going to the kitchen. You know, it's yeah. like you got five minutes. You know, you can yeah. you turn that time into something productive. But then whenever you do it a second time, you know, then it's like, okay, now. I feel a little less fidgety. Again, don't even think about the mind. Let your mind go crazy. Let it let it just completely blow off all the steam. And just think about your chest rising, your chest falling as you exhale, chest rising when you inhale. And again, as you exhale, relaxing the muscles in your face and your shoulders. And just think about the body. And what happens is that given that our body is a reflection of the mind, like as a side note to kind of visualize that, think about you know the philosopher who is stroking his or her well not her beard but his beard or her chin <laughs> <laughs> and and you know it's like okay they're in deep thought you know yeah. or you think of the person that Gary Vaynerchuk like okay he is ah, he's crazy or he's you can know where his mind is because of how animated he is or something like that mm-hmm. um so that we have this this body you know mind connection so as you're sitting there you're breathing you're just relaxing your body Slowly, as you release and let some of that steam blow, your your mind will begin to mirror your body, and you'll find it much easier just through basic, you know, even five minutes. As I said, for a couple of days, you know, a week, two weeks in a row, you go. Wait a second, I feel like I can 
relax and I can just be without having to fidget with something. You know, you think about it from a neurophysiological or neuroplasticity way, the way that our common behaviors, our habitual behaviors that we do, it shapes the neural pathways of our brain. So in the modern world, we're always messing with our phone. We're always using a mouse, not the animal, but the digital, you know, the, the keyboard <laughs> mouse. We're always on our keyboard. Yeah. We're always doing something with our hands. We're on a remote using Netflix or whatever, always with the hands. And so our brain, you know, grows these neural pathways to be like, okay, this animal needs, or this human critter needs to always be doing something with their hands at all times. So be ready, be focused on that and be dialed in to always be fidgeting. So if you go to relax, then you're like, I need something. I, that's why, you know, something like a fidget spinner became popular is because yeah. we're so hyper physically um, kind of hypnotized these days by, by how we interact with technology, that we're just always messing with something. And so it feels a little like you have almost like phantom limb syndrome whenever you try and relax at first because like, I need to be messing with something. I need to be messaging. I need to be texting. But yeah. You just the more that you can do, you know, just relax and, and breathe and give yourself that time, the more that'll start to melt away. And then what you'll find is that when you do that more and you go into your life, you go into your busy schedule, you go into the crazy succession of meetings or phone calls, whatever it might be, that that edginess that you would normally feel from that fidgetiness of constant behavior has softened a little bit. And with that edginess, you gain more clarity and more precision in the way that you're able to show up in your professional life. You show up in a meeting, you show up being able to like, all right, I've got these 10 appointments I need to do today or whatever. And you're able to do them with a lot more clarity and ease and less effort than you would whenever you had that edginess feeling. Yeah, I think that that edginess, sometimes we, there are behaviors that we've built to sort of make it easier. And one of the things in your book you talked about is, um, or not to just soften that edge that don't actually work. It's like a false, a false softening and like checking my email all day long, trying to make sure that I'm on top of things to make sure that I haven't missed anything. But you mentioned like, how crazy would it be if I checked my physical mailbox (laughs) as often as I check my electronic one. Like people would think I was bananas running Mm -hmm. to the mailbox back and forth, back and forth, thinking that something's going to arrive. And yet we've trained ourselves that that behavior is very socially acceptable. It's, it keeps us busy. So what are like, what are some other sort of parallels like that, where the analogous behavior in our mental world versus our physical world can be very alarming? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, email is a huge one. Social media, of course, is another another big one. Um, and just like refreshing, you know, that's like another huge one with people like, <laughs> you know, just like sitting around and refreshing, refreshing. A friend of mine that joke about like, well, let me see if I made it real quick. Let me refresh as if there's going to be some big <laughs> revelation that refreshing for the 90th yes. time of the day, you know? And I think kind of breaking that spell is really valuable. And the way, you know, for me, the, the creating barriers to those behaviors where you find yourself just ruminating on one thing like that over and over trying to get that dopamine hit of like, did I get any more likes? Did I get any more notifications or messages or emails or whatever? And really like creating barriers to intro in that is really valuable. So if you're always like, uh, first off, one great thing if you want is to just mix up the location of the apps on your phone screen. Because think of how many times you just unlock your phone and your thumb hits Instagram or you know whatever or the news feed or whatever you're chosen, you know, digital distraction thing is of choice. And it, it's popping up and you're like, oh, I didn't even really re- remember opening this. I just opened it as, I, you know, as a force of like habit. Muscle memory. Exactly. So whenever you move those apps around, you actually have to think about what you're doing. And that creates what I call in the book, like the mindfulness gap. So you have this moment of self-agency where you go, oh, wait a second, what am I doing? And, and why am I doing this? And then you're able to choose your behavior as opposed to living in this, this momentum of, of automated behavior. Um, another great one, what I do with social media apps is I, and even my email, is I put it in the last page of my phone in a folder. So I have to swipe to the left three times, then open a folder, then I can see all of those things that are there, like churning notifications. Like we get more notifications in like an air traffic controller. I, you know, these days, <laughs> it's really insane. Like we're not meant to have this much, th- these many notifications, and it's causing this like, you know, our nervous systems are fried because the amount of input and data that we're 
subjected to every day and then we put ourselves in is that we're, we're literally truly like frying our nervous system. That's why anxiety rates are so high. That's why depression is so high. And that's why people feel frazzled is because we're meant to be just kind of like calmly walking through the forest, not, you know, not just like, ah, overwhelmed with more data than what we're designed to handle. And so a great way to deal with that because, you know, Technology is very useful, obviously. We wouldn't be doing this right now with technology. Um, is to just manage them and become aware of how they're changing your behavior, what they're doing to your inner life. You know, it's because like you're never going to be on your deathbed going like, oh, I wish I would have checked my email a few more times. Or you're going to say, I wish I would have had an, some more connection with myself, with my friends, with my family, with you know, with you know, uh, and accomplished things in life and contributed to. You know, the, our species more than than just sitting around refreshing all the time. Yeah. So batching whenever you check those things is really viable. Like that's what I'll I'll do is I'll say, okay, you know, normally if I have say I have fifty emails in a day or something like that, it doesn't take that long to really get through those if you have those all at once. But if you're stopping what you're doing and then going and checking and like, okay, well I handle these two. And I'm gonna save this one as unread, and I'm gonna check back on that later. And so then while you're off doing something else, you're thinking about that one. Then you come back and, okay, well, I'm going to handle this one. And now there's two more. You know, it just turns into this crazy fragmented time suck. So with things like social media and email, you know, if your situation allows it, saying like, okay, I'm going to check it twice a day for half an hour. Or if you can say, I'm going to check it once a day uh, for one hour or half an hour. Or, you know, if you have to be on your email frequently, you could say, okay, I'll check it you know, once an hour for like 10 minutes, hard cut off, whatever it is, to just make sure that you're not caught in this long, you know, fragmentation. When you commit to living your one thing, you commit to having clarity on your priorities so you can have a relationship with your goals. The challenge is just because you know what your priorities are, doesn't mean the world stops spinning. One of the biggest challenges our members face is their email. Let's be honest, folks. Your priorities rarely live in your inbox. They live on your 411. Your inbox is simply everyone else's priorities just stacking up. And if you don't have a model and a system for managing your inbox effectively, you end up treating everything like it matters equally. We're excited to share a simple tool with you that will give you back time when it comes to your inbox. That tool is Clean Email. This is a tool that I started using. Once I linked my account, Clean email showed me that I had 744 active lists that my email was on. No wonder my inbox was crazy. The best part was their system made it so easy for me to unsubscribe from the ones that I didn't want to be on and keep the ones that bring value to me. After I did this, Clean Email helped me organize my inbox into smart views so I could easily see which ones were social notifications or newsletters, which ones were all the unread. And I could also create rules so that the most important emails from the most important people quickly showed up. That way, when I'm in between time blocks and I need to quickly triage the inbox, I can respond to the 20% that matters most and get back to my one thing. If you'd like to take back some of the time that you're currently spending in your inbox so you can invest it in your one thing, visit clean.email slash one. That's clean.email slash O-N-E. Think back to when you started your business. Did you dream about all the admin tasks that you were going to take on, like drafting proposals and contracts and tracking down payments? Did you imagine that to be your one thing? If not, you need HoneyBook. HoneyBook is an online business management tool that organizes your client communications, bookings, contracts, and invoices all in one place. It makes it simple to run your business better. They can even consolidate services you already use like QuickBooks, Google Suite, Excel, and MailChimp and Gmail. It's the number one choice for client and business management for freelancers and business owners because you save time and get to do more of what you love when you use HoneyBook. And right now, HoneyBook is offering our listeners 50% off when they visit honeybook.com slash one. Payment is flexible and the promotion applies whether you pay monthly or annually. Go to honeybook.com slash one for 50% off your first year. That's honeybook.com slash O-N-E. Yeah, because what I hear, what I'm hearing you say is that these things actually bring value into our world. Having email, mm-hmm. it's it's valuable. We get to have this chat, chat because of the technology in our life. 
And being aware of when you're choosing to engage in those things is really important. So sometimes we have to create, I love the idea. What did you, you called it? The mindfulness gap. Mm-hmm. So that like there has to be a step, the automatic, if I can remove that automatic step and sort of booby trap the path so that I have to choose like several paths in order to get to that destination to make sure that it's where I want to go yeah. versus just somewhere that I want to go because I don't want to be present or because I'm, I'm, I'm fidgeting. It's basically yeah. internet fidgeting. Yeah, it totally, totally. And that, that yeah. mindfulness gap idea becomes so valuable in life as it deepens more. As you, you know, again, just practicing some mindfulness techniques like we've been talking about, um, cultivating that internal space, you know, that that maps onto your entire life. So back to whenever we're talking about saying reflective, uh, you know, judgmental things or negative things or whatever it is. You know, there's a thing that I put in my book that says, you are not your thoughts, but you are the thoughts you turn into actions. You know, because all of us have. Say that again, Corey. That was that was pretty important. Say it one more time. You are not your thoughts. You are your thoughts you put into action. You know, because we, you know, we people often beat themselves up because they have negative thoughts. They have critical thoughts about others, themselves, and whatever. That's just a part of being human, you know. But it's all about what you do with what arises in your mind and what you choose to put out into the world. That's what builds who you are and that's what builds your character. And ultimately, it's what builds your whole life system because the more that you you choose to put out you know, the positive part of yourself into the world, make good decisions and compassionate choices, you know, choices that are good for you know, yourself and others, the more that that's who you become in the world and people will recognize you as that person and treat you uh, accordingly. Yeah. Well, so we've been talking a lot about the changes that it has for our own life, but what other areas of life have been affected and have simplified as you've been implementing these mindfulness practices like family, nutrition, exercise? What is the ripple effect of those inner choices? Yeah. Yeah. It, well, it goes out to everything, you know, because like everything in your life is touched by creating that internal space because, um, you know, let's look at exercise. You know, a lot of people very, uh, commonly, will say like I want to exercise at least five times a week or something like that, and they end up, you know, making kind of quote unquote decisions to not do so, or validating, or coming up with some rationalization as to why uh, they don't have time or they don't have the energy or whatever it might be. But having that internal space, the ability to recognize, you know, what you're thinking in the moment, allows you to go, okay, hold on a second, I'm just I'm coming up with a story as to why I can't do this because. I, you know, we're meant to choose the path of least resistance, you know, like as animals, we're trying to conserve energy, you know, and so recognizing, all right, I'm just trying to talk myself out to it. Let me change that and let me go do it. You know, let me go do it because I know I'll feel better later. And so that's a good one there. Same thing with diet, you know, being able to have that impulse control as opposed to just like eating, you know, uh, cake every night. You know, you can say, you know, I know I'm going to feel better. I'm going to have a more clear mind. I'm going to have more energy if I eat well. And so setting yourself up for success by deciding to and choosing to do that as opposed to being swept away into just the automation and the blur of your, you know, past life and your past program. Not your past life, but your previous <laughs> the life before now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's power also in visualizing that outcome, it sounds like that there's I want to feel good and I want to sleep well and I want to be present. So I want to eat this food that's going to fuel my body in a healthy and nutritious way. Yeah. And that cause and effect when we get so busy reacting to life, there's not much time to think about that. There's not much time to think about what happens when I make these choices because I'm so busy just trying to get from thing one to thing two. Mm-hmm. And that's huge too in, in professional lives as well. You know, you think about like you can start doing something today. You know, a lot, a lot of people don't start doing something because like, oh, I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to doing, you know, this mindfulness practice. Or I'm going to get to eating better. Or I'm going to start working out after the new year, or I'm going to start that entrepreneurial project next year or whenever I'm quote unquote ready or whatever it might be. But I think a really valuable thing from this, you know, this topic that we're on right now is like being able to see the big picture and realizing that in six months, you're going to wake up and you're going to be you in six months. So you can either today decide, you know what, I'm going to start doing something a a little bit every day now. And so that in six months, whenever I wake up, there's a huge change that's occurred in my life, as opposed to just allowing your mind to rationalize it and put it off and put it off and put it off. And I think that, you know, mindfulness is a great tool in that to in being more present is a great tool to help you recognize 
that big picture. And you really end up doing stuff for yourself um, that's, that has a way bigger overall effect than some you know, small fleeting type of uh, pleasure or distraction. Yeah, absolutely. We're getting ready for our goal setting retreat that we do every year here in Austin. And what and we found a lot of power. And when you go someday from now and you imagine the future and you go back to just the tiny things that you have to do today in order to make that happen, we find that most people, they overestimate what they can do in one year and they grossly underestimate what they can do in five. Right. And right. what I hear you saying is some of these like inner thoughts and inner the progress we make in our inner world can actually dramatically affect that someday from now when you get to look back and see all of the progress you've made because you've allowed yourself to based on that the based on where you've made it from here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I've got another question that I think is a great one from Jason and he says any tips on tapping into mindfulness during our everyday interactions with others? It seems to be difficult for me. So mm. sometimes when we're alone in our dark room, we're on a walk by ourselves, and maybe our dog, it's easier to tap into those moments. But what about in, in the real world where that we're swarmed by people and distractions and meaningful relationships and some that we are just trying to get through from point A to point B? Right. That's a really great question. So um, one of the, the, I call these little... Uh, um, mini mindfulness m- moments, you know. So um, <laughs> there's all these moments. This is not in uh, engaged with others, but just when you're at, within yourself out in the world, there are all these times where we have like a minute, two minutes, where we're kind of on hold as a person. Like you can be in line waiting for something, you can be in the elevator, you can be, you know, someplace like that. You can be sitting waiting to take off an airplane, you can be on the bus, wherever it is, even at a red light or something in your car, you've got two minutes. And so there's all these little things peppered throughout the day where you have these two minutes and starting to build a habit of going, okay, in those two minutes, I'm going to like check into my posture because of course, all of our, our stress and everything is held in our bodies. And so most of us are hunched over, tight, tense shoulders, all that, breathing shallowly. And so you can say, okay, in this, I'm in line right now waiting to get a coffee, which is a great moment. Uh, but you say, now while I'm in line, I'm going to realign my posture and relax my shoulders, kind of stiff my chest out a little bit, get set up, and then just start taking, checking in with your breath, taking those slow, restorative breaths and allow yourself to realign in that moment. And you get this two minutes of just reset real quick. Um, and what's interesting is that as you find these little negative spaces, uh, empty spaces in your day uh, where those things are possible, you start doing them automatically. So they become good habits that are built. So I do that all the time. Whenever I'm in line, like before this, you know, I was in line at the grocery store and just, okay, find myself realigning my posture, taking some good breaths and, and reconnecting. And whenever you're engaged with people, as you said, you know, in relationship wise, one of my favorite ways of practicing mindfulness is through conversation. Because you have to, you know, well, hypothetically, you have to <laughs> focus your attention on the person you're talking to because they're saying something, you're saying something. There, there are two, you know, narratives that are coming out and intertwining, and they're creating this third thing, which you're both, you know, nourishing as you're putting it out into the world. And so, really, like giving yourself over to a conversation and giving, you know, letting go of all that other stuff around you, all those distractions, all those thoughts in the back of your head. And really just allowing yourself to just show up and be there and focus on the person that you're talking to. And then not only listening to what they're saying, but listening to where they're saying it from. Like, like how did like how did this person come to be? And what perspective are they really trying to share with me? What's the the big idea they're trying to get across? Are they trying to figure out what they're saying as they're saying it? You know, there's this beautiful dance and that happens during conversation. And the more that you're there with that, the more you can open up. And what's interesting is that what I found from doing hundreds and hundreds of podcasts is that what you bring to the table whenever you engage with someone else is 50% of the way that they're going to feel in your interaction because they they feel how they're going to feel. And then what you bring gives them this other feeling. So if you're open and truthful and relaxed and you, you're giving them your attention and your focus... They're gonna feel. Oh, wait a minute! This is a safe. This is good. This is comfortable. I can open up. I can. I want to give them my attention. And you have this much deeper connection and much more profitable interaction with another person that way. So I, I love conversation. As I actually wrote a, an article on it, conversation is a form of meditation because I love it so much. 
I love that. Well, it's such a gift to both people in the conversation. Like by being present, not only do I get bored, but they get they there's a richness that you get to experience that you don't otherwise get to go there. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Mindful listening, says Scott. Like that's the idea of learning how to do that. That's awesome. Yeah. So tell me a little bit, Corey, when you start this practice, and sometimes we stumble our way through it and we do one domino at a time, what begins to happen? How do we know that it's making an impact? You said those metrics to measure an inner inner goal can be harder to measure. What's going to happen in my life so that I can start to even just appreciate the and have gratitude for how far I've come? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you'll notice, um, I kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. And so one thing that you'll begin to notice is that whenever you would have had a reactionary impulse to a situation, and it's funny is that you you actually notice it later a lot of times in, in the early stages of of focusing more on this. That if you're in a say you're you know in a professional situation and you're talking and, and normally you might have felt a bit anxious because you're talking to you know some executives or something like that and where you know we're thinking oh I hope that this goes well you know <laughs> because you're in this conversation then you recognize that actually wait a second I wasn't I was totally comfortable I wasn't anxious in that that conversation. I felt like comfortable. I was present. I was aware of what I was saying. I, you know, no post-event processing needed as far as like, yeah. you know, you, you know, having that conversation and stepping away and be like, oh God, what did I say? You know, did I say this? How was that heard? <laughs> and, you know, am I a terrible person? What's going on? You know, we all do that. That's a big one of people that go to parties. You go to party, you cut loose, you have a good time. Then you come home and you're like, oh no, I, you know, I was <laughs> terrible. I said this, I did this. I don't think mm-hmm. this person likes me. And I hope I didn't offend that person. You know, and so stuff like that really begins to soften up. Um, you'll find another great one that I, I uh, use sometimes is like in traffic, you know, because it's so it's such a universal experience whenever people are driving and someone cuts them off or you know does something rude, you get fired up, you get irritated, and then you'll someone will do that and you'll just you know still cut you off and you'll be like, oh well that that just happened, as opposed to being like ah you know like. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, you notice, you observe like the lack of fire, the lack of irritation and frustration. And it, that, like the volume on it, think about it like a volume knob on, on your stereo. You know, <laughs> it just slowly starts turning up this, this, this quietness and this, this calmness and this self agency. It begins just fading into your life. <laughs> and those are the little type of things you notice, you know, you notice, and then even decisions where, uh, when you normally might not have been as authentic as you wanted to be in a situation like, okay, I really need to speak up and voice what I'm thinking and feeling right now. You're able to do it because you have that that ability to cut through the inner critic and the anxiety and that's all softened. You're, you're able to let your true self you know, come out to play a little bit more. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. How important is it for the rest of your family members also to implement mindfulness meditation as well? How do you deal with partners that aren't interested? Yeah, so that's a great one. Um, the biggest thing I think about it, it can be meditation or just any information in general is that you can't make anyone learn anything that they don't want to know. People need to rec- realize and, and gain the insights and the experience on their own. That's the only way that people will really stick with and embody any type of idea. Um, so it would be wonderful if your family's on board you know, f- to, to join you and make it a family thing. I have a, a dear friend of mine has done a thing with his daughter every day since she's been alive where... He doesn't call it, you know, not wrapping this in some of the language and the terms because those people have certain predisposed uh, ideas about them. He doesn't even call it meditation. He says like, hey, we're going to have our our sitting time. And so he brings his daughter, him him and his wife and the daughter, they go into the living room after dinner and they just sit there and they all just close their eyes and just calmly breathe for 10 minutes on the couch. And then, okay, that's our sitting time. And she's just grown up with that. And now she loves it and she looks forward to it. And so she's been meditating her whole life without even really realizing it. And it does you know, wonderful things to, to their family. So if the family is into it, that's wonderful. But they don't have to be. Um, but what can happen is that if you practice it by yourself, you know, privately, then the beautiful byproduct of that is that 
you'll lead by example. They'll see you having more presence. You can feel someone who's more present. You can really feel it. It's an, it's an animal connection, an animal type of instinct that we have. Just like you can feel someone, if you're in a subway in New York and someone gets on the train and you're like, ooh, that person, no eye contact. You know, they're stressed. They're, they're, <laughs> they're uh, on the edge right now. They're, they're not looking good. They're frustrated. They look angry. Just, uh, you know, you can feel that you can feel calmness and presence just as the way that you can feel someone who's on the edge or something like that. And so by leading and bringing that type of presence into your life, others will go, hey, that looks pretty good. Like they seem pretty happy and pretty connected and pretty deep. I think I want to do that. And that's a great way that you can live by example and your family will oftentimes begin joining you because they want to get in on what they see changing in you. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Jason says, a major hurdle of mine is that I'm not is feeling like I'm not being taken advantage of or trodden upon when I'm doing my best to open up and be compassionate towards others. Any advice on this? Oh yes, that's a, another wonderful, wonderful question. Most of the time, you know, people feel or get the the misconception that compassion is kind of being a doormat, and that you open up because someone who's trying to be compassionate does get the big picture. They see outside of themselves, and that's why they choose to try and be kind and be positive in the world. Um, but what happens oftentimes is that whenever you do open up and you're trying to kind of take on and let things slide and like, okay, like this person's being rude to me or, or they're kind of taking advantage of me, but they clearly don't know any better. I recognize what's going on. I'm going to let it kind of move out in the flow and you know not worry about it. And I'm going to kind of be the quote unquote bigger person and let that slide. That's... Um, has, is wonderfully intentioned, but it very quickly leads to resentment and frustration and, and things like that, um, or feeling taken advantage of. So thinking about compassion and that openness as an intention, as opposed to an, you know, an identity or something like that, um, becomes very valuable. So you can show up in that conversation with your intention and your instinct to be more compassionate, to be more open. But whenever they begin to feel, whenever you begin to feel like you're being taken advantage of, it's crucial to set boundaries for yourself. And the second that you feel that to, this is the way to, you know, uh, keep from getting into that resentment state and that frustration, that feeling taken advantage of state is to show up, you know, wanting to be open, wanting to be connected. Whenever you feel that advantage or that taking advantage thing come, then set that boundary and then actually, uh, verbalize that and communicate that and that's how you are able to stay open to stay you know uh, well intentioned with your connection but then as things start shifting a certain way bring that into communication to where that way you're still serving yourself at the same time thanks for that i think sometimes you're right there's a misconception that when we show compassion for others that we have to self-sacrifice something our needs and some things that we need in order to give to others and i think once you start practicing that compassion and practicing those boundaries is when you start to find a, the true meaning of it and the true yeah, experience. Totally. totally. And it's really, it's almost actually inevitable, but kind of because yeah. what I was talking about is you know, that when you open the door, there's an orientation period and it's kind of inevitable for that to happen. So if you you know do feel that it's not a fail, it's a, it's step one. And then step two is putting, is yeah. learning when to put up those boundaries, you know, and step three is the communication. Rodrigo asked a great question. What's the one thing that we haven't asked you that we should? Hmm. Where you can buy now is the way. <laughs> <laughs> great. That was on my list. I have to say, Corey and our listeners, this book is a really remarkable book. And I have I rarely binge order multiple books for so many people in my life when a new book comes out. And this book I've already sent to many people in my life because it's relevant in many seasons of life. I think that I have, um, for myself, when I read it, I felt very heard and seen, and I have a direct prescriptive path on how to start taking action in my life. And for people that are going through transitions, it's a great book for oh, anyone beautiful. who's curious. It's um, it's an amazing book, and it's beautiful with so many good, I mean, so many good like one-liners that I feel like just hit me so hard, I had to stop and read it multiple times. Awesome. So, thank you so much. I thank really appreciate you. So that. where can they get now is the way. Well, okay. So first I want to give a real answer <laughs> and then I'll stop. And then I'll okay, stop. okay. So the real answer is like, you know, the idea of being present is such a nebulous, ephemeral type of idea, right? 
But we all know it. We've all lived it. We've all felt it, it, at least in some small snapshots in our life. But how can we build it into our lives? It's kind of like, it's like saying, how can you build a good day into your calendar? It feels a little weird, right? Like, well, they just kind of show up, right? Um, but one of the things, the thing that you know, I opened the book with is a way to feel present every morning is by, instead of, I, I mentioned coffee because I love coffee. Uh, and, and that's, you know, whenever you wake up and you're, you're going to have your morning coffee, as opposed to just chugging that coffee down or, or drinking on the way to work, actually taking a moment to pause, sip it in, feel it going into your mouth, feeling the warmth, really tasting it, feeling the vapors, feeling the blood vessels in your head expand, feeling the shift in your consciousness and the lights get brighter, you know, feeling that whole change and really just being there with that experience and allowing all of your attention, all of your focus on one singular thing for that moment, that really sets a tone and brings you back to, okay, here I am in my body, in this life right now, every morning. And you get this, almost this kind of kiss from the universe every morning of like, ah, there's the place. Now let's go start the day from that place as opposed to starting it from, ah, you know, I got lampshade on and one pant leg and half <laughs> lipstick and, you know, <laughs> running out the door like that. <laughs> I think that's great. It's a great insight because I think, like you said, if you can start your day off with that one thing, then everything else becomes easier or unnecessary. Exactly. Exactly. So where can they find this amazing book? They can go to nowstheway.com. Uh it's and it's there, you know, all whatever way you want to digest it, it's there uh on that site. Or of course it's on Amazon. They have the audiobook and the and the hardcover. And I read the audiobook, which is uh, quite uh, a privilege to do. And so um, most people find my voice calming, so you can hear it for five or six hours. You know, if you get the <laughs> the audio book. <laughs> what I love about our conversation that I'm still processing is that on your journey to mindfulness, like there are so many things you could do, and for you, our listeners, what's the one thing that you've been taking from all of these amazing suggestions that you can start today? Why don't you put it in the question box so we can read it? Because I'm curious, for me, the biggest thing is that I can give myself permission to the moment that I find myself noticing that I'm not in the moment. That's actually that's actually a win for me totally. because I'm starting that practice of quieting the noise to yeah. take inventory of what's happening versus just running through all the things and trying to get them done in order to then earn that moment. Because I think yeah. that my processing is such that I have the big list of my highest priorities and that maybe sometimes I misinterpret that I, I only get this quiet moment once I've finished all those other things. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. by taking that moment first, I actually make space for so many other things. Absolutely. And also being kind to yourself. You know, it's like, if you think about how mean and rough we are in ourselves, whenever we get, you know, whenever we feel like we're failing or we're doing something wrong or, or we get overwhelmed or whatever, and you start thinking, ah, oh, I'm such an idiot or whatever, or like, yeah, I don't look right right now. Something is wrong with me, whatever. It's like, you wouldn't think about that. You, you wouldn't say that to a friend, you know? So why would you say it to yourself? Be your own friend, you know, like take it easy and allow yeah. yourself like, all right, there was that next, let's move on and, you know, mm -hmm. onwards and onwards. Absolutely. So from you, our audience, I've got just be cool, be in the moment, awareness is a win, prioritize you and set some time to meditate. Breathe like I'm sleeping. Breathing is such an important centering activity for me. I'm encouraged to time block meditation every day. Extreme noticing so that I appreciate the moment. My latest focus is an instrument of presence in connection with others. Taking five minutes every morning to be still. These are awesome. I'm glad that this has been value for you. And if you want more value, this book is full of small bits of wisdom and practical ways to start taking action in your life. So thank you for writing it. Thank you for taking the time, Corey. And um, we appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. And just uh, thank you for reading the the list of things that people listening uh, took away from this. That actually gave me goosebumps just hearing that oh, our conversation there's, could... There's even more. It's good. It's rich. <laughs> and I, I just... The richness that I'm seeing here, uh, I just can't wait for you guys to go implement all those things. Awesome. Well, I'm really grateful for everyone watching and listening to this. And I'm grateful for people that have taken any of this stuff into their lives and, and felt any 
a small amount of change. Uh, it's a true, it's an honor, you know, to be able to to um, be a part of that. And thank you for having me. There you have it. Our conversation with Corey Allen, author of Now is the Way. Here's the thing that really stood out to me as we were talking with Corey. And the idea of checking our physical mailbox as often as we check our inbox. How ridiculous and unhealthy would that be running to the corner every 15, 20 minutes, maybe once an hour, but still. What's the one thing you can do to stop doing that? Corey mentioned the mindful gap and the idea of building a moat between you and the things that you do on autopilot. When you're reacting to the moment and you go straight to that app that's on your phone or you go straight to that inbox, if you just put it in a new place, you have to think about going there. So maybe the app is on the last page of your phone or maybe you actually close down and log out of your inbox when you're doing your one thing. We challenge you to take that first two-inch domino step so that you can be more present in the moment and with the people who matter most to you. In fact, if you'd like to make this a habit, head over to theonething.com and click the free stuff page. You can download a 66-day challenge calendar and start making mindfulness a habit that sticks. And for those of you who are members of the Living Your One Thing community, we will be kicking off a community 66-day challenge on January 1st. If you'd like to learn more about our community, head over to theonething.com slash community. If this episode brought value to you, Who's the one person you think needs to hear this? Would you share it with them right now? It would mean the world to us. If you're that person and you're new to The One Thing, welcome. Please click the subscribe button so that all future episodes are automatically downloaded to your device. Please click the subscribe button so that all future episodes are automatically downloaded to your device. While you're at it, consider leaving us a rating and review on your podcast player of choice. It helps us live our purpose of helping people have a relationship with their goals. Thank you for listening to The One Thing Podcast. We look forward to being with you in the next episode. Bye.